When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's Monday, 9-11-2023, week three of College Football Frenzy is jumping on. But first, before we even get started, a salute to all the men and women that helped us, protected us, and watched over us on 9-11. It's a big salute to Service Day. So we want to make sure we give credit to all those individuals out there that lost their lives and continue to fight and struggle on 9-11 for sure. But just saying that, Andy, we got to get to this College Football Week 3 Level Up podcast with Andy P and Big G on the Fans First Sports Network. I'm going to bring my partner, Andy P. And Andy, what you talking about, man? What's cracker lacking? It's been a good weekend of football, both college and pro. Had a lot of fun watching some of the biggest games this week. Uh, not going to lie, really liked that we started the day with Nebraska-Colorado. We ended it with Texas-Alabama. A lot of good stuff in between. Feel like we learned a little bit more. Uh, some of the games that we were previewing last week ended up being great games. And I'm excited to do it again this week. It's not as strong of an overall schedule in week three. We're kind of we're getting that lull before conference play and some big non-conference matchups ramp up in week four. But there's still some great things to talk about. And of course, we got to talk about that Texas-Alabama game. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, I think we got to start with that one. We got two games we're just going to do a quick recap and talk a little bit about. But that Texas-Alabama game, Andy, was huge. Texas goes into Tuscaloosa, Alabama, wins the game by 10, 34-24, and looked impressive doing it. I think that you've seen the arrival of Quinn Ewers, and we'll talk a little bit about the stats and who he was throwing the ball around to and this and that. But definitely Steve Starkeesian, man, you played one heck of a game. You called one heck of a game, and your players showed up and showed up. Andy, man, talk to me just a little bit about the recap with the Texas Longhorns, Alabama Crimson Tide. Yeah, I think what we saw was that two two guys in particular showed that on the biggest stage, they can step up. Quinn Ewers is the first one. Mm. You know, the story has been out there. You know, he has played great in these big games. He played great in the Alabama game last year before he got hurt. It's really clear that when the lights are the brightest, uh, Quinn Ewers elevates his game in a way that he doesn't always do the other games of the year. That's something yeah. to watch out for later on, but, you know, down in Brian Denny Stadium, he was the best quarterback on the field by far. But the other one was Sark. I thought that that game plan that they had was real tight. Like Alabama was one of the teams that you thought was going to have an elite defense. Mm-hmm. And they really nullified that front seven. They were running a lot of spread out motion. A lot of the stuff that we kind of see with Colorado, uh, that Colorado is doing as well. 
mm-hmm. where when they know that you're they're not going to necessarily win the battle in the trenches, they're going to come out and they're going to beat you with space. They're going to move the ball around quickly and basically mm-hmm. make you freeze. And then they were doing a great job. Every time that Alabama was ready for that quick pass, that's when they took it over the top. And you just mm-hmm. saw Alabama be caught flat-footed more times than I can ever remember a Nick Saban team being so ill-prepared for the big play. Uh, it, it was just remarkable the number of times that Queen Ewers dropped back, threw that ball deep, and there wasn't a there wasn't a crimson jersey in sight. All you saw was a, a Longhorn helmet streaking down the field, get to the ball, make the catch, run it in for a touchdown. Man, that's all facts, Andy, man. I'll tell you what. The thing was, and I had talked to some of my other partners on Fans First Sports Network, and we talked about the game. And I said, man, the big thing is going to be Jadavion Sanders, man. I said, this kid is due for a big game because I think Alabama is uh, is is can become hurt by swinging the ball left and right and then running up the scene. And Starks, man, came out with that game plan. He swung the ball left and right, wide receiver screens, tight end screens. And that kid ended up with five catches for 114 yards and a touchdown. You know, and the Mitchell kid from Georgia, three catches, 78 for for and 78 yards and two touchdowns. So you're talking about him having a game plan. We all knew he was going to throw a moon ball to Xavier Worthy. But, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that was huge. And then on the defensive side, hey, man, that true freshman, Anthony Hill Jr., is a what you call a dog. D-A-W-G. <laughs> and, and Texas, just like how we talked about this before, Florida State is dangerous when they have an SEC defensive line. Guess who else is dangerous when they have an SEC defensive line? That is the University of Texas Longhorns. And they definitely had it, man. With, with guys like Sweat, Bushy, and, and Hill, they were able to put pressure on Tech on um, Alabama up the middle and they give Milroy a chance in the world to even do anything, man. So, Andy, I, I know for sure you might have a secondary thought about that, but – but, man, I'm telling you, that Texas defense looked real good, bro. Yeah, I thought that one of the things that we learned about this game is that Jaden Milrow is not quite there when it comes to that elite-level quarterback that you need to take you to the national title game. We mm. knew that Texas was going to get some pressure, but they were blowing up the interior of that Alabama def- uh, offensive line in a way that should never happen under an SEC Nick Saban coach team. Mm. And the advantage of it, like Milrow – actually had a pretty decent game through the air. Uh, He ended up with 255 yards on 27 attempts for 9.4 yards per attempt. Pretty great. Mm. But on the rushing side, they were able to contain him. Uh, We saw against Middle Tennessee that Jaden Milrow is able to save a broken play, and that's what keeps you honest on him. Mm. Texas did not allow him to get anywhere with his legs. And it was one of those situations where they looked at him and they said, you're going to need to beat us by throwing over the top. And he couldn't do it with the amount of pressure that Texas was bringing. And kudos to this Longhorn defense because Mm. that is the defense that shows up every single game, just causing havoc up the middle of the, uh, of the interior of the defensive line. That team is going to win the big 12 because I do not think that there is a single big 12 team that can match that disruptive of a force on in the trenches that's going to win that that's going to cover up a lot of the you know very good but not elite linebackers very good but not elite secondary if they're able to just rely on that front four uh, to get all the pressure that they need so andy before we swing the fence and go to the next game got a question for you are the texas longhorns a college football playoff team 
I think that if they win the Big 12, they are in the playoff. And Mm -hmm. right, you know, looking at the rest of the landscape of the Big 12, we saw Baylor couldn't get it done against a Utah team that was missing their number one quarterback. Kept it close, but couldn't get it done. Uh, We saw TCU obviously lose to Coach Prime and uh, Colorado in week one, get the doors blown off them. Uh, Mm. Oklahoma played SMU this week in a game that could have been a real opportunity for the Sooners to get back on the wagon and show that they are making strides under Brent Venables. They won that game, but that offense looked so out of sync and disjointed. Uh, SMU was in that game a lot longer than they should have been. So just holistically, unless Kansas State or Kansas is able to pull one of those weird upset games or – unless Quinn Ewers turns back into a pumpkin again on the road in the big 12, like he's shown to do in the past, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. unless that happens, I think this team is far too talented to do anything, but go undefeated to the big 12 and get one of the four playoff invites, because this is, this is that resume win. No matter what, when the playoff comes out, it's going to show right next to Texas beat Alabama on the road. That's going to get them consideration until they drop a game that they shouldn't lose. Total facts, man. Alabama was 52-1 and one against non-conference opponents in Tuscaloosa. Texas goes in with the win. Hey, man, all kudos to them. And that's why they're ranked number four currently in the Associated Press poll. But, Andy, uh, we got to talk about the game that I've been talking about for probably the last 72 hours. Man, what's up? Play me my theme music with Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffs smashing Nebraska in a convincing win, man. Andy, Shador Sanders is that guy. Shador Sanders right now might win the Heisman Trophy. But there's a lot of things to talk about good for Colorado and a lot of things to talk about bad for Nebraska. Give me a few highlights about Colorado and what you see. And are you convinced as of today that the Colorado Buffaloes are for real? I think the Colorado Buffaloes are definitely for real. But I think what Nebraska showed is a potential game plan to disrupt this Colorado offense. Mm. Uh, Tony White, the defensive coordinator over at Nebraska, is a staunch believer and uh, you know prophet of the three-three-five defense. And Facts. the way that he the way that he was running that defense to counteract Colorado's spread and speed was to use a lot of cornerbacks with different looks, use uh, rovers and linebackers to pressure at the line and then drop back into coverage, immediately taking away those quick throws that they wanted to do to get in space. And Mm -hmm. you saw the one thing that I think Shador Sanders needs to work on a little bit more before they start playing the big competition, the Pac-12. Once that first look got taken away from him on the quick reads, he was having a really hard time making the rest of his progressions on those plays. And it allowed Nebraska to get into the backfield. Uh, I believe that they ended up with six sacks on the day, which is not something I thought you'd see from a team that wasn't really rushing more than five guys every down. Mm -hmm. And you saw it really frustrated the Colorado. uh, It really frustrated the Colorado offense. But Mm -hmm. what I will give them credit for is even though that Nebraska defense was winning the individual, you know, defense versus offense battle for the first half uh, because mm. Nebraska or Colorado got spotted 10 points because of Nebraska's offense, which we will get into in a minute. Um, mm. That second half, they adjusted. They found ways to get their guys in space behind the line of scrimmage, set Facts. up a lot of different streams, set up quick routes over the middle that forced Nebraska into man coverage and out of that soft zone. And they were able to take advantage and really break the Cornhuskers in that second half. And that was one of the things... I wasn't sure that Colorado 
this early in the season had that mental fortitude to like work through when a game plan doesn't go according to plan. You have to adjust on the fly. You have to change the way that you want to attack the defense. That's a really, that's something that mature teams do. That's not something that young teams that are just coming together do this early in the season. Mm. And for that reason, I think Colorado is going to be a problem in the Pac-12. I still think that there are other Pac-12 teams that I like better overall than Colorado. But man, when Colorado goes to play Washington, when Colorado plays Oregon, when they play USC, those are going to be bangers of a game. Because we Mm. now know that even if those teams can shut down Colorado for a half, this is a team that can work through those issues together adjust and come out with a new game plan to make sure that they're still competitive in the second half of games. Facts, man. I, You know, I think one of the most impressive things I saw was the second half of Colorado with the adjustment with Shador Sanders. But then they they ran a play where they ran power left and it came around with an end around to Xavier Weaver. And I was like, oh, that's straight up coaching. You know, yep. somebody saw something on film and they adjusted fast because they realized that Nebraska was keeping everything in front of them but they wasn't playing to the outside hash marks. They wanted to take the quick away, so they was trying to swing it to go left to right. And I said, okay, here we go. We're going to get your momentum going one way, and because we're more athletic than you, we're going to turn around and go right about the other way. And then that, and then once they set it up to where they had, they had Nebraska playing more on the heels than playing forward in that traditional 3-3-5 defense, it was all she wrote, man. But I want to point out this too. If Shador Sanders is the maybe the front runner for the Heisman, Where's Travis Hunter at? That kid, that kid's the 27th in receiving the country with 14 catches, 194 yards, and two touchdowns. Could we be seeing the reinvention of Charles Woodson or maybe primetime part two? <laughs> I will say this. Travis Hunter, better cornerback than receiver, and he is a very good receiver. Mm. Uh, they Nebraska is not necessarily going to be a team that shows that off, but you saw they were just try, totally avoiding Travis Hunter's side of the field. Mm. Uh, they were ba- Travis Hunter basically took away one entire half of the field for the passing attack for Nebraska. Mm. That is a level of respect that you don't usually see teams give young guys this early in their careers. And Travis Hunter has earned it. And I think that even though on defense, there are going to be games where he might not even get a single target thrown his way because he's just that good. Offensively, he's going to keep his name in this conversation. I am mm. so excited for those big Pac-12 games not just because I think that Shadur Sanders and the Colorado offense is going to be able to put up points, but to see Travis Hunter go up against some of the best wide receivers in the country with some of the best quarterbacks in the country trying to throw the ball, the mind games that you're going to see there, the strategy and the matchup games that are going to happen between the coordinators. I think it's going to be fantastic football. It's going to be some of the best football that we're going to see all of this year. And for better or for worse, it's going to be kicking off at 10 p.m. Eastern. And so we're yeah, going yeah. to know that the last game of the night is going to be a great one every time. Might not be great on the on the sleep schedule, but it's going to be great for us to watch. Andy, I'm calling it right now. The Pac-12 was playing the best football in the country. And I do believe top to bottom they have seven teams that could win the conference. Yes. They have some outstanding in Oregon State, Washington State, UCLA, USC, Colorado, they got a lot going on. Washington, the Huskies, Oregon, and even Oregon State, they got a lot going on in that Pac-12 with great quarterback play and even more so great coaching. Hey, but before we get off this last subject, we got to talk about Matt Rule in Nebraska, man. What is going on in Nebraska with supposed to be the Savior Sims, the quarterback transfer from Georgia Tech? He's a turnover machine. And even more so, do they have – 
is is he going to fight to change the culture in Nebraska to give him opportunity to win, or is this going to be a long, drawn-out process for him to go and the Lincoln, Nebraska, and do something different? The one of the things that I was really concerned about is that Jeff Sims comes in and presumably won the quarterback competition over Chuba Purdy. Mm. And if that's the case, man, you cannot make a quarterback change because if Chuba Purdy is worse than Jeff Sims, you are basically waving the white flag before every game. <laughs> Facts. Uh, there's There was a lot of issues with the Nebraska offense. I don't think that their receivers were doing Jeff Sims any favors. Mm. But the, the fact that they couldn't even get a simple snap off, the fact that – on as soon as that first fumble happened, it was clear that Sims was in his own head about things. The number yeah. of times that there was just a lack of urgency getting to the line as the clock was ticking down and you're behind only one score to Colorado and you're trying to take the most out of the first half, it, it just felt like, to your point, the culture just isn't there. And I don't know if Matt Rule is just simply writing off this year and saying, like, look, I've got a big money contract. They're not going to mm. fire me after year one. I'm going to mm. take this year to cleanse the program out and figure out who wants to be here and who doesn't want to be here. But, man, I you cannot play Jeff Sims in a Big Ten game and expect anything else other than three turnovers and being behind the eight ball for most of the game. Uh, they got, they, they, the running game was the only thing that looked positive. And the yeah. one thing I will give Colorado's defense, as soon as they knew that Jeff Sims could not hold on to the ball out of the shotgun – they stacked eight guys in that box, and they said, we dare you to throw the ball over us. Yeah, and, Nebraska and Nebraska still said, you know what? A, a one-yard game, a two-yard gain is better than potentially throwing the ball with Sims. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Jeff Sims' season is cooked. So so then, there, I look, there might be a change maybe in Nebraska, especially after this week, if they would start out 0-3. But definitely some struggles for Matt Rule going on at the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. But we wish him the best because, you know, Big G's in Big Ten country. So I got to always cheer for those Big Ten teams. But, man, it's looking real bad out there in Lincoln, man. Hey, so listen, Andy, before we start breaking down this week's games and this week's show, we're going to take a quick commercial break, pay some bills on the Fans First Sports Network college football preview level up show with big g and andy p we'll be back in five after we pay these bills on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on Fans First Sports Network, rocking out with my boy Andy P, talking a little college football. We just did a quick recap of a couple of highlighted games, which was for week two. Week three schedule is not really front-loaded with games. Me and Andy sort of looked at the thing, and we said, okay, who can we really highlight that where the games will be competitive this week? So we started out, we took a hard gander, we took a hard look, we looked around, and the first game we saw was LSU playing this week, trying to get a rebound game against what I think is going to be a super tough opponent in Mississippi State. Mississippi State right now is 2-0. They've been kicking behind, man, and they got some players and some ball, some, some guys that can, I think, give LSU fits. But, Andy, I'm going to swing it to you and talk to me a little bit about this game and set up the action that we're going to discuss between Mississippi State and LSU, which is an SEC game. 
Yeah, I think that this is actually a sneaky, dangerous game for LSU. For one, they got to go on the road to Starksville. That is a tough place to play, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of if you're used to it in SEC competition. Uh, but furthermore, when you take a look at SP+, which is my favorite you know, team ranking metric, it's supposed to be predictive, not necessarily reactive. It lists Mississippi State as a top 25 team. They have them ranked 23. Uh-huh. LSU is 16th in the ranking, so... SP plus doesn't like LSU as much as the pollsters do. It likes Mississippi a lot more than the pollsters do. And the reason that it likes Mississippi state is that defense. They are the 32nd ranked defense in the country in SP plus Zach Arnett, another three, 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 uh, another three, three, five guy coming from yeah. the Rocky long school from San Diego state. He's Facts. been elevated up to head coach. And last year, Mississippi state was a team that was trying to run the air raid uh, with, you know, the late Mike Leach, his passing yeah. opened the door for Ornette to take a step up and become the head coach. And now they are running a hard nosed 12 personnel, smash that ball up the middle, hold on to it for as long as possible. And that defense can cause you havoc. They had, I believe, three first half interceptions against Arizona in the in their win this past week. And if you are LSU and you're coming off of that FSU beatdown and you're looking for an easy way to get back into the saddle. This is not that game because they're not going to have the ball a whole lot. And if they put the ball in the air, uh, they're going to have to be very careful with it, which has been a question mark with LSU, you know, so far. Um, I I don't love the way that I mean they beat Grambling 72 to nothing. So there's not mm. a whole lot that we're gonna we're gonna take. No from film. That game. It don't even count. Nope. Uh, mm. but Jaden Daniels is somebody who likes to take big chances even with pressure in his face, I'm, I would be a little bit concerned that Mississippi state is going to try to bait him into those opportunities because they think that they can pick him off. Man, I'm going to tell you, I think that Mississippi state has the best one, two linebacker punch in the country. I've watched a lot of guys, you know, I'm up here in Ohio state country. I got Tommy Eichenberg and steel chambers, but let me tell you something about jet Johnson and Nathaniel Watson. These two guys have put together three and a half sacks already four tackles for loss and a total of 31 tackles in totality in that 3-3-5. So what I'm telling you guys can get sideline to sideline and cause all kind of problems, all kind of pressure. Mississippi State has it. But even more so, when I looked at the matrix that's out there, man, Jaquavius Mays, the running back from Mississippi State, is a stud. 250 yards, three touchdowns, and they run the ball straight at you in 12 personnel. And they got a decent quarterback with Will Rogers at the 389 yards uh, passing and five touchdowns. So they they run, 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 and all of a sudden pull up, play action. Run, 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 all of a sudden pull up, play action. So Mississippi State is formidable. So we're going to figure out, Andy, can LSU beat them? So talk to me a little bit about LSU to say, what can they do to stop that Mississippi State offense, which is a little different than the traditional, and this new three-three-five look with two awesome linebackers playing at, at, at Mississippi State? Yeah, I think what we were going to need to see from LSU is a little bit what we saw in the first half against that FSU game. They're mm. going to need to play smart on the offensive side of the ball, uh, You know, take their chances, with, take the underneath routes, take the stuff over the middle that uh, Mississippi State's going to give you. You know that Mississippi State is going to be bringing pressure, and so mm. how can you counteract that pressure with the quick passing game? Uh, we know that LSU has the athletes on the offensive side of the ball, to work in space. So play into that, you know, similar to what Colorado did against Nebraska. If they're coming at you downhill, 
figure out a way to start making them move left to right. And this is something yeah. that Brian Kelly has done successfully at Notre Dame in the past. Um, it was something that his teams were very good at against uh, overly aggressive defenses. The biggest key for LSU, though, is going to be on that defensive side of the ball. FSU was able to punch them in the mouth, and they never really recovered. And you know that from this game, that that's all Mississippi State's going to try to do. So if LSU comes out in that first drive and they stack the box and they're able to stop the run, I'm going to have a lot of confidence that the offense is going to be able to figure some stuff out uh, and be able to spread out that three-three-five defense to score some points. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I would be more concerned if, if you know, if I'm an LSU fan, I am far more concerned about when the Tigers are on defense and if they can match that physicality that FSU uh, beat them on straight up. Mm. And you, you know, that they'll be ready for that uh, against Mississippi State. It's just going to be a matter of do you have it from snap one because Mississippi State wants to dictate the tempo. Facts, man. I think they want to they want to slow the game down for sure, for sure, because they just want to run power, power, power at you. And then you stop it, you know, and that's that sets up everything else. So, Andy, I think JT Daniels is due to have a good game. But you know how we do on the Level Up podcast. We got to get a pick. So in your pick between LSU and Mississippi State, who you got to win the game this week? LSU is favored by 10 points. That is way too high for a game that I think is going to come down to a single possession. I think the Tigers have the better offensive weapons. I'm always going to default to who I think has the better quarterback in an even matchup. I Mm. think that's LSU. However, I do think that we might be looking at a game that ends like 17 to 10. Uh, I, I, you know, I do not think that this game is going to be high scoring. I think it's going to be a classic grinded out SEC contest. Mm, I hear you, man. Hey, man. So I've been two for two for the upset specials of the week, man. So give me Mississippi State over LSU love this it. week, man. I think that Mississippi State is going to come up and show out. I love their matrix. And I do believe that they have more athletic players than what we give them credit for. And trenches on trenches, this is SEC on SEC. So there's bulldogs and dogs all running around all over the field, not just because they're called the Mississippi State Bulldogs, but the fact that these kids can play football. So I like Mississippi State to win in an upset against LSU 24 to 14. Give me Mississippi State, man, for sure, for sure. Hey, so we're going to swing the gate, go to our next game. And there's some controversy, man, going on with this. Mr. Mel Tucker, man, what have you been up to? Because we got – We got Michigan State against Washington State. Everybody knows the story. Mel Tucker has been suspended indefinitely without pay because of some sexual allegations going on with inside the program. We don't know if he's going to keep his job. However, Michigan State is 2-0. Washington is 2-0. Big-time game. Big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games. Andy, what we got this week with, with Michigan State and Washington. Yeah, I think that this is going to be one of those games that is interesting, if only because Washington, if they really are a top 10 team, they're ranked number eight coming into this week uh, in the polls. Uh, mm. uh, SP Plus, that system that I mentioned earlier, likes them also as a top 10 team with the uh, number nine overall in the country via SP Plus. But Washington State, or Washington rather, has the number two offense according to SP+. We've seen it. Penix Jr. is the real deal. He has been my dark horse Heisman candidate all season long. I think that he is somebody who's going to put up a ton of stats. But this is the first time that they have to go on the road. They're playing against their former or against their future conference mate in Michigan State. (laughs) Yeah, Um, And so far this season, 
Michigan State's only been averaging or has only let up an average of 200 yards per game. Now, mm-hmm. they've only played Richmond and Central Michigan, so yeah. a little bit of a skewed statistic there. However, yeah. Mel Tucker's teams have always been good on defense. They're always down to muddy up a game and try to keep it as low scoring as possible. For me, this is a big test on whether or not Washington is the real deal or whether or not they're a team that's going to be tough to beat out in Seattle but might struggle on the road. Yeah, Michael Penix Jr. is definitely he's, – he's big, he's big Ten tested. This is an Indiana tra- transfer that went out to Washington and to me has put himself in position to be a first-round NFL draft pick. And in my opinion – he also throws the best deep ball in all of college football. And he might have the best. You know, there's a lot of talk in Ohio State country that we got the best receivers. I don't know about all that. You guys better start paying attention to Romeo Oduze, McClain, and Jalen Polk, man. These guys combined almost have 700 yards of receiving and six touchdowns. So it's not like he's throwing it to scrubs out there. Two out of those three guys possibly could be NFL first-round draft picks. And they run that wide 11 personnel, fast like Tennessee, outside the hash marks, speed up the game, go, 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 go. And then they set you up, set you up, set you up, and all of a sudden you got a deep ball dropped over the top. But I looked up a stat, and I couldn't believe this. I had to look at it three times. Do you know that Michigan State is in the top five in the country with sacks? Michigan, Even though they play formidable fo- opponents, they, they have 10 sacks for the season and almost a top five ranking for tackles for loss with Michigan State. So I think, man, I this is going to be a tighter than what a lot of people think. But the, the, the thing that might swing the gate either way between Michigan State and Washington is the fact that there's so much controversy going on with Coach Tucker. So, I you know, I'm leaning towards Washington as far as my pick. But, Andy, what say you between the pick between Michigan State and Washington? Yeah, Washington, uh, Michigan State, rather, has a top 20 offense, according to SP+. I think that that validates a lot of the things that you're saying there, where they they do the things that an elite defense does. They get into the mm. backfield. They blow up plays, big plays before they happen. And that is a – I think that the floor on Michigan State this season is really high. They're going to get an upset at some point in time because of that defense. But mm. I'm, a, and I'm in 100% agreement with you. I think that the stuff that going on with Coach Tucker is just – too much of a distraction for the team this week. You yeah. know, if it was happening late, if this was game was later in the season, I might be tempted to pull pull the upset card here. But with everything that's breaking, I think that Penix Jr. is going to be too well prepared. I think Washington is going to win this game, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily know if Washington's going to hang 35 or whatever on Michigan State. I, mm-hmm. I feel like this might be a game where Washington wins it 27 to 10. And Mm. the game's never really in doubt, but Washington doesn't have that dominating performance like they've shown against uh, Boise State, uh, who was a very formidable opponent they blew out early this year out in Seattle. So a quick question before we jump to the to to taking a break on commercial break on Fans First Sports Network Level Up podcast. If Michael Penix Jr. blows up those for 400 plus yards, 350 plus yards. Is he the front runner for the Heisman Trophy? Because you got Shador, you got Caleb Williams, you got a lot of guys out there. Is he the front runner for the Heisman? I think so far Washington's body of work has been the most impressive uh, in terms of who they played uh, in terms of defensive talent. And if based off the stats, like you said, if he goes out there and throws up three hundred plus with four touchdowns, yeah, I think that Michael Penix Jr. I think Penix Jr. is definitively 
uh, your Heisman front runner after week three of the season. He'll have lots oh. of opportunities to keep padding those stats as the year goes on, uh, mm. but he is one special player. Man, great stuff, man. Great stuff. Hey, so listen, we're going to take another quick commercial break on Fans First Sports Network Level Up Podcast, rocking it out of talking about college football with my boy Andy P. We'll be back in five after we pay these bills. Sports Network College Football Preview Level Up Podcast. My boy Andy P rocking out with Big G. We're doing our thing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please make sure you're out there listening and trying to find us. We're available on Fans First Sports Network College Football Preview. All you got to do is click it, like it, and follow it. Slide up and down the reel and look for that Level Up, L-E-V-E-L, up podcast with Andy P and Big G rocking out on Wednesdays because we post all information on Wednesdays as of today. But we got a couple of things in the chamber that we'll be talking to you guys about later on. But Andy, we got to finish off with our final two games, man. We looked around the schedule, like I said earlier, and we're right back in SEC country with the Tennessee Volunteers versus the Florida Gators. We've already seen Florida get smacked against Utah this year already. And I don't know if Joe Milton III is looking like what we thought because early showed a little bit of struggle. But let me hear your first highlights and thoughts concerning the Tennessee Volunteers and Florida Gators, which traditionally is always a big-time game, rocking out in the SEC East Conference. We got uh, – so what I was saying is the Tennessee's offense, we know what they want to do. They want to go mm-hmm. deep. They want to take the big play and run it consistently, and that requires a lot of time in the backfield. And we saw against uh, the Utah Utes that the Florida Gators were having a really hard time getting into that backfield, Mm. but they have the talent where you would expect them to be a bit more aggressive uh, and be better defensively than they showed. And Mm. again, against a backup quarterback, they were able to hold Utah to 24 points uh, on the road, not the ideal outcome that you wanted, but there's Mm. still potential that this defense could cause some problems. So I think that's where this game gets interesting because it is in the swamp. You can expect a really rowdy game, a really rowdy atmosphere. Uh, And Tennessee is an offense where uh, we've seen it in the past. We saw it against Georgia uh, or was, I forget if it was Georgia or Alabama last year, the Tennessee played where they went on the road uh, Mm. and they just got absolutely stomped early on because they couldn't get those big plays to connect. And it's, it, it's you kind of live you live by the sword you die by the sword yeah if you want if you want to take those big plays if you want to build your offense around the deep throw you got to understand that that might mean that you start out slow yeah. uh, i think if you're florida you're hoping that your defense plays up to where it's supposed to be and stops tennessee early yeah and then it's going to come down to that offense that like i'm with you that running back room that florida has should be able to take advantage of a tennessee defense that is not elite but yeah, we just facts. haven't seen it yet. Facts, facts. I think ETN, man, is they need to force feed the ball to ETN because I like Graham Mertz. He's all right. I like the, the Pearsall kid to transfer from Arizona State as far as wide receiver, but he's just shown he's the only guy that can catch the ball. And I don't care what type of sets they run. If they run 11, 21, 22, 12, it doesn't matter. The ball is only swinging to one guy and one guy only on the outside. So the issue is 
this is going to be where Florida's defense is going to have to step up and play because guess what? I just personally think and believe that the Florida Gators coach, Bill Napier, might be in a little bit of trouble. If they was to drop this game and start the season out one and two, there's going to be rumblings all over the place that the job is too big for him and that we need to get a coach in here that can actually sustain and build the program. They have a huge recruiting class coming in next year. And I heard, I was told by little birdie that they're going to have 75 to 80% of all the guys that they recruited in the 2023, 2024 class coming in will be at this game at with Tennessee. So the swamp's going to be rocking out of control. The issue is going to be, can Joe Milton show up and show out? Because the issue is they haven't found to me a number one wide receiver to replace uh, uh, Jalen Holly that they had last year. You got that Keaton, that Keaton kid, the white kid that played wide receiver. They've leaned heavily on the running game between Jalen Wright and Jabari Small. I think the total combined yards is almost 400 yards rushing for that team. So, Andy, can Tennessee go to the swamp and pop the Gator boys? Do you see it happening? They Here's the thing. They absolutely should. They're, you know, they're a, a top 10 ranked team. They've got everything that you could, or they're an 11th ranked team. So they're almost a top 10 ranked team. They've got everything that you could possibly imagine uh, when it comes to talent on the field in terms of recruited, uh, recruited talent. Mm. Uh, you know, SP plus is looking at Tennessee as the fourth best offense in the country. They really should be able to go into the swamp and put up some points. But like mm. you said, I think Joel Milton is a really good quarterback, but he's the type of quarterback where you need someone on the, uh, you need a receiver to really step up uh, and be that consistent number one option. I know they're going to be looking at Ramel Keaton. He's been targeted the most so far this season. Yeah. Um, he's got eight receptions over the two games. Uh, Squirrel White has, uh, has also been somebody who's been targeted, but he's more. Of a I love that name, receiver. Squirrel, man. I love Squirrel. <laughs> squirrel, I mean, he's quick. <laughs> he, I was to say he's a 5'10", 165. Of course, his name is Squirrel. Like it, yeah, yeah. it just fits. Yeah. Uh, but like we said, like I said earlier, like Milton and the Tennessee offense is trying to have that big throw downfield, have the big tall guy that's faster than everybody that just gets down the field in a straight line better than anybody, and they haven't quite found that yet. So my mm. hope is in this game. We see Tennessee maybe take a little bit of the gas pedal off, or the foot off the gas pedal a little bit and just take those intermediate to short throws. Let Milton get into a rhythm, accept the fact that, look, we might only get one or two deep chances per game set up off the play action and yeah. just try to play smarter and not harder. If they do that, I think they have a really good chance of winning this game easily and kind of establishing the fact that, look, we are willing to adjust our game plan and adjust our offense based off of the personnel that we have here. And that'll go a long way for me trusting Tennessee as a contender in the SEC. Man, I hear it, Andy. So, you know, I think this is the swing game this week about which way our picks are going to go. And I want to hear it first from you, man. Who wins between the Tennessee Volunteers in the swamp against the Florida Gators? I think Tennessee wins this game. Uh, I don't know if it'll be easily, but I do think that Tennessee is going to win this game by at least one score. I don't know if it's going to be a touchdown or a field goal, but they're they're going to win this game by. Actually, I'm going to hedge. I'm going to say that they win this game by four points. I think Tennessee. Oh, okay. I, I like it. I like the pick. I think this game is going to set the precedence for both coaches and both programs. I think you have one program that's headed in the right direction and possibly one program that's headed in the wrong direction. Be it Florida headed in the wrong direction and Tennessee headed in the right direction. But 
is Tennessee, Florida. And there's always something wacky that happens every year when Tennessee plays Florida. There's a mixed kick. There's a block kick. Somebody runs on a fourth down, look like they're putting, and they score for a touchdown. It happens every year, Tennessee versus Florida. So I think the game's going to be close, and it's going to come down to a field goal. And I look for Tennessee to line up and win the game by a field goal or maybe the last play of the game, man. I don't look for this to be a blowout because, like I said, I believe both coaches are playing for their coaching future. You know, Tennessee on the right trajectory, but the guys got to get over the hump and prove that last year against Alabama wasn't a fluke, you know, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I think that this is probably like we were talking about how there's not necessarily like a ton of amazing games on the schedule. There's not another Texas, Alabama here, but I think that this was probably the most interesting game that we have uh, on the whole slate. Facts, facts. Andy, last game, man. I got to swing this over to you because this is straight up ACC country, what they used to call the backyard brawl, the West Virginia Mountaineers versus Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh. I don't think there's 30 miles between those two places. I might be wrong, but I know they sit right up on top of each other. Back in the day when it was the Big East, this was the brawl. Right now, they're both in the ACC conference. There's still a lot of rivalry. There's still a lot of hate going on between West Virginia Mountaineers and the Pittsburgh uh, Panthers. So you tell me, man, what does this game going to look like? Because you're our expert on the Level Up podcast with ACC. So talk to me about what you're going to see in this backyard rivalry that's going to be played out with Pittsburgh and West Virginia. Well, we were talking about you were talking about Billy Napier coaching for his job. I'm telling you right now, Neil Brown is coaching for his job this season. West Virginia has not done well since the move to the Big 12. They've bounced from Dana Holgerson. They Mm. thought Neil Brown was going to be the guy uh, to really bring West Virginia back. He was coming to them from Appalachian State on paper. Mm. Everything Mm. looked like this move was going to make sense. It has gone horribly for him uh, at West Virginia since then. They lost to Penn State pretty convincingly, 38-15 to in the opening game of the season. And you know that because this game is in Morgantown, West Virginia, this is pretty much his last chance to get a statement win before he goes into the gauntlet of the Big 12 season. And on the Mm. flip side, you've got a pit team that I think is insanely talented on the defensive side of the ball. However, we saw last week against Cincinnati when Pittsburgh lost 27 to 21, scoreline was flattering the team. Cincinnati came out and scored three quick touchdowns and then just sat on the game. And the Pitt offense was not able to do anything. Phil Dracovich is a Boston College transfer. He's from the Pittsburgh area. Pat Narduzzi has really relied on this transfer quarterback system to uh, supplement the roster. We've seen some successes. Cough, cough, Kenny Pickett. Uh, We've seen a lot more failures than we've seen successes. And Phil Dracovich looks like yet another failure transfer quarterback coming in and trying to elevate this pit team. So for me, this game is really simple. I think that both defenses are perfectly fine and capable with putting eight in the box, stuffing Mm. the run, pitting the ears back, and just blitzing all out on every play. Yeah. So it's going to come down to the quarterback play. Can Phil Dracovich show that he really is a senior? He's learned from the Cincinnati game. He's able to take advantage of those opportunities that West Virginia provides when they're being overaggressive. Mm. On the flip side, I think the Pitt defense is going to be able to be more successful rushing less. Like mm. I don't think that they'll necessarily need to go and blitz six or seven men every time in order to get pressure uh, in the West Virginia backfield. But the Cincinnati team was able to go over the top on them 
the pick cornerbacks were really having a hard time in that game. Uh, Mm. You know that West Virginia is going to try to take the top off you early because it's a home game, because it's a rivalry game. Mm. Can you uh, can you keep the ball in front of you? Can you just keep the game, uh, keep the passing game short and in front of you? If that happens, I think Pitt can win this game, but it's really going to come down to Phil Dracovic and whether or not he can recover from last week's disaster against Cincinnati. Man, no doubt about it. I mean, when I put down my notes for the show to talk about what was going to be the key, I had circled twice and double underlined on both 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 sides of the ball. The quarterback play has to be better than it's shown for a team to win because the eight in the box. But I just, when I went back and looked, took a deep dive and looked at both rosters, I think that Pitt's got an opportunity to establish a run game against West Virginia because, once again, here's another team that plays that traditional 3-3-5, off-ball linebackers, guys spread out, defensive backs walking down into the zone, playing like linebackers. They're not, they don't have that 4-3. And they like to play faster on defense than most teams really do. So I'm like, okay, Pitt, you line up and be the big bully in the room, set up the play-action pass for the quarterback, and give them an opportunity to win. But, like you said, both coaches might be fighting for their job. So I think, like I said, this is the old school backyard backyard brawl jumping off. But this might be I'm out of here after this game week for sure, for sure, when the, when the Pittsburgh Panthers play against the West Virginia Mountaineers. Andy, any other highlights that you want to point out for this game before we make our pick? I, I'm, I will say this. I think that it is really fascinating. Like you mentioned, the coaching. I think Neil Brown's coaching for his job. Pat Narduzzi on the Pitt side has been one of the most successful Pitt coaches in modern history, mm. but Pitt's only won the ACC once uh, with one Narduzzi time. at the head coach, and he lost this game last year. Like that is you you revive this rivalry, and you're unable to close it out in your home stadium in Pittsburgh. Mm. Losing this game is going to create a really interesting situation for Narduzzi at Pittsburgh. Yeah. And I just think that there's a little bit more desperation on the Pitt side than on the West Virginia side. I know that that doesn't always break down in the schematic uh, element of the game. But like yeah. you said, I think that Pitt learned from their mistakes last week against Cincinnati. They're going to keep the ball on the ground. They're not going to let Djokovic throw for more than 20 times uh, in this game. Facts. And if that happens, this might not be the prettiest game to watch. But this is at 7.30 on ABC on primetime on national TV. This might be the uh, the most intense game that you can yeah. watch on Saturday. Hopefully hopefully they get rain over the forecast because a Pittsburgh-West Virginia game has got to be played in the mud. I mean, that's what it's always been, and that's the way I like it, man. When you see those guys playing the mud and the slug and you get some hard-nosed, hard-capped football going on down there in Morgantown, West Virginia. So, Andy – do you swing with the ACC or do you look, ride with the conference wonder in West Virginia who's then changed conferences at least three times in the last five years or whatnot? <laughs> so are you riding with West Virginia or are you going with Pitt for this game, man? I'm going to ride with Pitt. Like you said, I think I do. I like this is this game's going to live up to its name. It's going to be the backyard brawl. And if there's one thing that I have learned from playing against Pitt so many times with my Syracuse team playing Pitt, if there is one head coach who loves to brawl, loves a game that's going to be decided in the trenches between the running attacks, it is Pat Narduzzi. I think that Pitt gets the win, evens the series, and I think you officially see West Virginia enter their name in the 
interested in a new coach uh, sweepstakes that kicks mm. off with Neil Brown getting fired. Mm. Yeah, I like it too, man. I think I'll take Narducci in a, in a phone booth with anybody, anytime. <laughs> well, you ain't got no room to run or no room to move. I'll take him every single time swinging it out in a phone booth. So I, I definitely like the Pittsburgh Panthers to win this game this week and start off to give them an opportunity to maybe fight and be a sneaky team fighting for that ACC. Because there's some craziness going on over there between Duke and Clemson. And, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on over in that ACC for sure, for sure. So, Andy, we're to the end of the show. You got any final thoughts or last thoughts that you want to talk about this week as we close out with the Level Up podcast on Fans First Sports Network? I think that we, you know, we're going to, if you turn on to College Game Day on, uh, you know, early morning at 10 uh, 10 a.m. Eastern, uh, they're going to be out in Colorado with Coach Prime as there's a big rivalry game happening between Colorado and Colorado State. There's a a lot of other games on the schedule that might not necessarily uh, be all that great on the field, but there's a lot of fun stuff happening off the field. Uh, this is definitely not the most intense jam packed week we've had, uh, mm. but there's still a lot of good football to be had. I'm excited for it. I personally think it's going to be a lot of fun. And overall, I'm really excited to see, like we said, we're talking about Penix jr. We're talking about this Florida, uh, Tennessee game with Joe Milton. I think mm. that this is going to be the week where we see a lot of quarterbacks really solidify themselves as true leaders of their team before we get into the heart of conference play facts man and check this out did you know not only is college game day there the big noon kickoff is there as well so when was the last time you had both prime networks in the same especially in colorado in the same game so that's telling you how much electricity is circled around that colorado program it's like must watch tv and so therefore you got to give it i know everybody out there in college football land has their favorite teams and teams they want to watch and cheer for but Colorado is must watch TV because Deion Sanders is rocking it out there in Colorado for sure hey man so thank you guys again for listening to me and Andy P on this week's week three Level Up Podcast on Fans First Sports Network. We can be heard on Apple and or Spotify or any of your listening things out there. Follow me and Andy P on Twitter, Facebook, and watch us on Twitch. For me and Andy, check us out on Level Up. We'll see you next week. Peace.